0: To be in 2 Timothy again this week. So if you've got your Bible with you, or you grab one out of the pew, or you open it up on your phone, open to 2 Timothy. And we're going to begin this week in verse 6. So this series we're calling Last Words. And it's Paul's last letter to Timothy. It's the last letter he writes on earth. And he's giving Timothy kind of his heart for like, hey, guess what? I'm not going to be here anymore. Here's what it will look like for you to faithfully steward the gospel in the same way I have. And he's kind of pouring out his heart to Timothy about uh, what we've kind of phrased, how to live faithfully in the last days. Like, what does it look like to live faithfully in the last days? And as, as we talked about last week, Christians believe that all days are the last days. And so nothing ever really changes about the times and seasons. If you're alive and you're on earth, we live as if we're living in the last days. And one of the things that drew me to this book and this idea of Paul encouraging Timothy. And and remember, Paul's in a jail cell. So there's kind of a current running under this letter that's basically like, hey, this is where I am. This is where faithfully stewarding the gospel of the kingdom has gotten me. So don't be surprised kind of if you end up in the same place. And let me tell you how to live and fight the good fight and keep the faith so that you might win the prize and get the crown. Like, here's what it looks like. And this, this idea really attracted me because I think we're living in a unique time in history, in our nation, where many of the cultural ideas that propped up Christianity for a long time have disappeared or are disappearing. And I can give you one example. Uh, my little elementary school in southwest Kansas would pray every day before our lunch. And not just pray, but pray to Jesus. In Jesus' name, in a public school, we would pray every single day. That, friends, has disappeared. So many of the, uh, uh, the moral norms of Judeo-Christian values around family and sex and marriage and money and self-expression, those things have disappeared or they're disappearing, which means we have to learn how to steward the work that God's doing in us without the cultural props. It's like you go back to ground zero and you say, okay, what does it mean to be a Christian in a society that is actually actively hostile toward my faith? That doesn't want me to live faithfully and steward faithfully. That's fine as long as Christianity stays inside the church or your faith stays in your heart, but don't bring it to school, don't bring it to work, don't bring it to the street. It's like, hey, be a private Christian. And our, our friend John Tyson would say, the definition of secularism is the privatization of faith. Secular culture says, it's fine for you to believe in whatever God you believe in, as long as you believe it in your heart and you don't bother me with it. Jesus, on the other hand, says, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey what I've commanded you to. He's he's saying, my gospel is a public proclamation of God's sovereignty and glory, his plan for the world. And guess what? It is moving. And I'm looking for messengers. I'm looking for ambassadors. I'm looking for stewards who will take this work out into the world. And so if that's the case, if many of those things that have kind of propped up our life get, get uh, kind of left in, in history, then that means in our day we have to renew the practices that actually created that in the first place. What were the things that believers and Christians did that actually created a society that had many of these things baked in if they're not baked in anymore? And I think we find that in the scripture. What does it look like to live faithfully? And I've said this before. I I think this thing is really fascinating about the culture we live in because most people thought America would have a post-Christian moment, much like Western Europe. But I, I don't think they realized how religious Americans are like like Americans are like and I think it's cuz of the way our nation started but we're religious at our core so so the interesting thing now is our religion is no longer aimed at the god of the bible or at jesus it's aimed at everything Everything has become a religion. Politics has become a religion. My, my own self-expression, self-actualization has become a religion. It's my idol, is that I could live as I want to live and do the things I want to do, where I want to do them, with the people I want to do them with at all times. That's become the culture we live in. And so Christianity really in many ways, I believe, has, has, has or is skipping our post-Christian moment and we're moving to paganism. You know how many Ivy League graduates right now are carrying around crystals in their pockets because they think the universe can give them energy through a stone? Isn't that wild? This is the, like the smartest people in our country are reading horoscopes and they're dabbling in witchcraft. And they're trying to consult spirits and mediums. Like, it's like we're, we're going back into the Roman pagan culture where the church originally planted the gospel. And the good news is that in pagan culture, the church that looks like the book of Acts works. I mean, it, it challenges the powers, and it wakes people up, and it demonstrates. Paul says, as Chase said, I don't come with all this eloquence and wisdom. I come with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit in your midst. That's what I come with. I don't have silver or gold. I don't have power or clout. What I have is the Holy Spirit who now dwells in me, who can do anything and even raise Jesus from the dead. That's what the church looks like. So Paul's trying to reconnect Timothy to this foundation to say, if you're going to be faithful in these times, especially faithful without me being your backstop, you're going to have to remember these things and practice these things and cultivate these things and ultimately guard some of these things, right? So first, uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame, the gift of God, which is in you. I love that. It's not just around you or for you. It is in you through the laying on of my hands for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline. So don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed about me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Guys, Paul's not writing this letter about suffering from the chief seats. He's writing it with chains on his hands. He is locked up in prison in Rome, and he knows his time is short, and he's saying, listen to this, join me in this suffering. What kind of suffering? The kind of of suffering that lands you alone in a jail cell. He's saying, listen, if you want to live in these days, you've got to understand what it means to suffer for Jesus and how to hold on to the hope that we have in him. That's what I want for you. This grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. I can't even get into that. It's too mysterious. The beginning of time has been given to us, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ, Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. This is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him For that day. Isn't that fascinating? If you're gonna live in God and for God, He entrusts you with something and you entrust Him with something. It's this beautiful thing. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So Paul gives Timothy two things, two clear actions that I want to focus on this, this, uh, today. He says, fan into f- flame and guard the deposit. He said, if you want to live faithfully in these days, these kind of evil days, you have to learn how to fan into flame, which I kind of look at as like offense. And you also have to be able to guard the deposit, which is I kind of look at like defense. Our spiritual life in Christ should look like offense and defense. We're constantly fanning into flame the gift of God who lives in us, and we're constantly setting up fences around our lives to protect our lives from the darts of the enemy around pride and lust and greed and anger and sloth and envy and all these things that were going to come against us, apathy, right? He's saying you've got to guard that deposit because the enemy lives to steal, kill, and destroy, he wants to take what you've been given, so you have to guard it, right? He, he describes Israel at some point, you're like a city without walls. You're not guarding the deposit, you've just grown, you've grown slack, right? You're not doing the things you did before, he tells a church in Revelation. Um, one writer said it like this, he said, um, there, there's kind of two sides of this, and I think this is a good way to think about it, he said, concentration on reformation without revival leads to skins without wine, concentration on revival without reformation soon loses the wine for once of skins. Right, so the Bible says you need new wine and you need new skins. Like you, like you you need both sides of the coin. You both need revival, and you need the container for revival. The container's got to match what he wants to pour in it. If you're making wine, you use certain types of things to contain that wine so it turns out the way you want it to. You don't just put it in a plastic container, right? You don't put it in a garbage can. You use oak, or you use steel, or you use concrete. You use these things that time has tested to prove this produces the best kind of product. And our faith and our life is the same. What we take with what God's doing in us, what we pour into will dictate the end product. And many times we're pouring it into the wrong practices. So God says both of these matter, right? So what does this look like? And this morning I I felt like I was going one direction and the Lord just like really clearly shifted my direction. Because I was thinking about how much... When we read this passage, and this is, this is what it means to be an American, so this is a, just a pro tip, if your first um, instinct is to individualize the text, you're, you're kind of off on the wrong track already. And, and I, I realized how much I and others have individualized this text, flan, fan into flame the gift of God. And I was like, oh, fan into flame my gifts. What are my gifts and how do I, fl- isn't that funny? I, I instantly make myself the center of this text and say, how do I fan my, flame, uh, my gifts into flame? My gifts are exhortation, right, and faith and all these things. But it, it, it personalizes and individualizes in a way that I don't necessarily think Paul meant. Because it's fascinating, what, what is the gift of God? Or maybe the better question is, who is the gift of God The book of Acts says it really clearly. Peter says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul later says, fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the Spirit of God who lives in you. This isn't about your gifts outward. It's about the giver of the gifts that go out of you. You actually need to fan into flame the person inside of you. He is the fire that you fan into flame in you, and then the gifts that he gives you come out of that. But you can't fan into flame your gifts if you're not fanning into flame the gift. The Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit, is the gift of God in you. Acts 8, Peter says, may your silver perish with you, but you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Acts 10.45, all the believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles also. So Paul is looking at Timothy and saying, hey, I need you to remember that when we imparted to you, we didn't just impart gifts, we imparted the gift to you through the laying on of hands. When we laid our hands on you, you got baptized and filled with the gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit. I want you to fan that reality into flame. That's what your life should be about as you pursue. In your active pursuit, it should be to fan into flame this gift who now lives in you. Which means... You have to come to know the Holy Spirit as a person, as the third person of the Trinity, as the gift of God, and we'll dig into that. But that's fan into flame, and then it's interesting because as I saw that, and God really revealed that to me, it, it changed the second part, which is to guard the deposit. It says he says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Well, what is the deposit, right? says in Ephesians 1 and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked with him in him with a seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession And then in 2 Corinthians 1, Now it is God who makes us, uh, both us and you, stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So Paul bookends this passage with saying, Everything you need, all that you have, all the plans and future and goodness of God, all depend on your apprehension, your ability to take hold of the spirit of God who lives in you. Everything God wants to do in you, through you, around you, depends on you saying, the Holy Spirit is my gift. I'm going to come to know him, ask him, live through him, walk with him, right? So it's this thing where, where if we're not careful, we'll think uh, about things, um, we'll get the beginning messed up, right? If you get the beginning of the journey messed up, if you're just off by a couple degrees, right, you can end up somewhere way off in the side, And Paul just says, no, 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 this is all about the Holy Spirit who lives in you. He is the gift, and he is the deposit, and you're meant to fan into flame the gift, and you're meant to guard your life in the Holy Spirit. Your job is to guard your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says things like, do not quench the Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit. It it says a lot about how your relationship with the Holy Spirit is meant to operate so that you guard Deposit. Jesus um, talks about this or sorry, Paul talks about this in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, and I'm just going to read the whole chapter, because I think the Word of God just describes it uh, much better than I could say it. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling. My message and preaching were not wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Listen to this, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So when the culture is built to prop up faith in Jesus, and we've built these things, and it's kind of a Christian culture, what can easily start to happen is our faith begins to rest on the wisdom of men, on preachers and teachers and ministries, and not on the power of God. We come to rely on other people's stories of the power of God rather than our personal witness of the power and glory of God displayed in our life. Right? God's meant for us to have a one-to-one relationship with him. He, he says, you have one mediator, and it's Jesus. You don't need another human being in between me and you. I came to live in you so that you could hear my voice and know me face-to-face. You don't, you don't need, like, we don't have preachers here because you need a mediator. We just try to have preachers to stir your faith in Jesus and get near to him. That's it. I'm not here for your faith to rest on me. That's a bad bet with your life. I can tell you, it's confirmed um, through multiple ways, but if you put your faith on the power of God. It goes on to say, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. How do you come to understand what God has given you in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit? Means if you don't know the Holy Spirit, if you don't know His voice, if you don't cultivate a relationship with Him, you'll never fully grasp the gift that's been given to you in Jesus. And Jesus says this, right? Well, first, first a quote from uh, Richard Lovelace: He says "Spiritual life is produced by the presence and empowering of the Holy Spirit, not simply by the comprehension of doctrinal propositions or strategies of renewal." Listen, if good doctrine would produce renewal, America would be the most renewed church in history. Friends, we've, we've got great doctrine, great teachers, great podcasts. How many of you listen to a podcast from a preacher this week? Just raise your hand. How many? Raise them high. Like, you guys are like, mm, I, it's okay. I'm not that offended. It hurts. It wounds me. I'm like, uh, yo. Friends, we have all the content. We're choking on content. And we're bereft of revelation. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is God saying to me? Isn't it interesting how desperate we are to hear what other people have to say about God rather than going to God? God's like, I died on the cross so that you would have access to me. Like, I'm yours, ask, ask of me anything. Knock, and it'll be opened, right? Seek, and you'll find. You don't need a person, you don't need a doctorate, you don't need seminary, God bless seminary, but like, you don't have to have that. The Spirit lives in you. He searches the mind of God. God. The one who searches the mind of God lives in you and all you have to do is ask of him. Paul's like, fan that into flame. Because guess what? When you're in that prison cell, that pastor can't be there with you. It's you and Jesus. It's you and your history with him, your prayer life, your desire, your love for him. And Paul's like, fan it into flame. Lovelace goes on to just describe what I think is maybe the best description of of a daily walk with Jesus through the Spirit who lives in you. He says this, a normal relationship with the Holy Spirit should at least approximate the Old Testament experience described in Psalm 139. A profound awareness that we are always face-to-face with God. Isn't that beautiful? That the Holy Spirit is in you to remind you that you are always face-to-face with God, that as we move through life, the presence of his spirit is the most real and powerful factor in our daily environment, that underneath the momentary static of events, conflicts, problems, and even excursions into sin, he is always there like the continuously, uh, continuously sounding note in a basso ostinato. I had to look that up. What is a basso ostinato? It's a form of music that has a bass line that runs through the whole thing. And it is the steady thing. As, as the, the right hand's doing all these things, the left hand is just... Pfft. The Holy Spirit is the constant in your life. He is playing the note over and over and over again. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He loves you. Look at Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. He's coming. He's coming. It's like the, the, the one note. The Holy Spirit's just like, I got one note. That's it. You know, the guitar player just learns and they learn like one chord. How many parents are like, oh, Lord, learn another chord? The Holy Spirit's like, I got one chord, and it's look at him, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. The typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between the husband and wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof and the husband makes constant use of his wife's services, but he fails to communicate with her, recognize her presence, or celebrate their relationship. What should be done to reverse this? Listen to this. We should make a deliberate effort at the outset of every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit. To move into the light concerning his presence in our consciousness and to open our minds and share all our thoughts and plans as we gaze by faith into the face of God. We should continue through, uh, to walk throughout the day in relationship and communication and communion with the Spirit mediated through our knowledge of the word, word and relying on every office of the Holy Spirit's role as counselor mentioned in Scripture. We should acknowledge Him as the illuminator of truth and the glory of Christ. We should look to Him as teacher, guide, sanctifier, giver of assurance concerning our sonship and standing before God, helper in prayer and as the one who directs and empower witness. And can I just tell you, Richard Lovelace was a Presbyterian. This guy, I love it. His background and persuasion, and he's like, he's like, listen, the number one thing you can get in your life is a relationship with the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You know why he came to that conclusion? Because he read his Bible. That's how you come to the conclusion of the power and witness of the Holy Spirit in you. It's in the Bible. Jesus. um, John 16. If you've got your Bible, you can, you can turn there real quickly. John 16. Verse seven, he says, but very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I'm about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people don't believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit lives in you to glorify Jesus. That's the flame that, that, that Paul's like, fan that into flame, the desire in you to glorify Jesus in every way with your words, with your life, with your career, with your family, with your intellect, with your money, everything you have, the Holy Spirit is saying glorify Jesus with that. Make him bigger. Make him like, like beautiful to the world. That's what Jesus is doing through the Holy Spirit in you. It's amazing. So Paul's like, fan into flame and guard what you possess is about the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I, I just had this sense that we need to know that there, there is a, a fire inside you already. The good news is you don't have to produce the fire. It's not up to you to like, oh, I got to work really hard so that I get really passionate about God. I regain my zeal. I do all this stuff. It's like, no, no, no. The point is to fan the flame of the gift of God that is in you. It's already in you. Your job is to live in such a way that it's like, like your prayers and your life and your habits and your rhythms are just like you've got, what's that thing called? A bellow. A bellow. You could have said anything, and I would have repeated it, just so you know. So that was your moment to like really embarrass me. But uh, you know what I'm talking about? The old school thing, yeah, yeah, the, the bellow, right? It's like, that's our only job. You're just like, how do I create the context so that fresh air, fresh oxygen gets to the fire inside of me? What is the fresh oxygen? Here's what I think. I think the Spirit of God plus the Word of God plus the people of God equals fire, equals flame. If you will organize your life to where you're consistently acknowledge the spirit of God with the word of God and you put other people who are about the spirit of God and the word of God, you will get your fire fanned. It's just like, man, and you'll just watch it grow and you won't get tired of that. You won't be weary. You won't get exhausted. You won't get burned out because you're not doing the fire. The fire's there. You're just like trying to get the oxygen. You're like opening the thing. So it just flows in. When you read God's word, you're not working to memorize stuff that makes you a better person. You're like, I want to see Jesus in the scripture. I want the fire in me for him to get bigger. So God, show me in your word, your glory. So what does this look like? It looks like coming to know the Holy Spirit as a real person whose one desire is to give you power to see, know, experience, and obey Jesus. I think that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, fan the flame, guard the deposit. He's like, come to know the Holy Spirit who lives in you whose desire is for you to see, know, experience, and obey Jesus. That's your job. You're like, what's my job as a Christian? Is it to do all this stuff and try to be a good person? No, no, no. It's to come to know the person in you who can actually live the life of Christ through you. And yes. Andy and I were talking about it this week, and I'm going to uh, go ahead and call the band back up. You guys come up, and we're gonna we're going to end in worship. And ask God to just fan into flame as we look at him, as we sing to him. And we're talking about this kind of, uh, and you know, I've been a Christian for, I don't know, like about 25 years now. I was a pastor's kid, so I was like a mostly Christian kind of like Princess Bride. It's like mostly dead. I was mostly there. And then in college, had this encounter. Now 25 years of ministry, and and I've I've lived to see enough of the ebbs and flows of ministry to kind of notice when the times are changing. And friends, the times are changing. Because what what I learned to do was to read the Bible, have really good ideas about it, and help you to apply the Bible to your life. The church in, in our age has been obsessed with application how do to read the Bible and apply it to my life. And it sounds really awesome, except it puts you at the center of it. You have to read the Bible, you have to know what to do, and then you have to be able to do it. So have you ever noticed that in churches that value application most, it's mostly the people who are doing well, who are doing well in all sorts of other things? They're doing well at fitness, and they're doing well at business, and they're doing well, at, and it's mostly like kind of highly disciplined type A people. And then you go and you like measure who's good at church these days to who Jesus called to be disciples. He didn't call the Pharisees who were good at obedience and good at following the rules and good at obeying the scripture. He like used a bunch of young fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, like kind of the dropouts the people are like well i would be a rabbi but i wasn't smart enough so i'm gonna just fish right i would be a sadducee but i don't know how to run in the circles of rome i don't i don't have all the the personality traits to go into rooms of people full of power and know how to fit in and know what to say and never do anything wrong and jesus like give me the people that it will be clear that it's my power that gives them the ability to follow me not their power. He's calling people to himself. And so, this, this application thing is, is it, it really sounds good, but I think it misses the point. I had a friend who said this information is good, application is better, transformation is best. Jesus doesn't offer you application of timeless truths, he offers you transformation. Not so you could just try to be kind, you would become kind. That's you would just try to act compassionate, that from your being you would become compassionate because he's living through you. You see the difference between working for God and God working through you? Like his spirit enlivening, empowering you, causing you to do things that you're like, God, I can't do this. Holy Spirit, I need your help. I don't want to love this person. Acknowledge I'm not good right now. Would you give me power in this moment to forgive, to reconcile, to serve, to die to myself in ways that I could only do if you were living through me. And here's the thing, right? It's applying it to your life assumes that you have a life and God has something he wants to do through you. But the Bible says when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death every like the other stuff happens after you understand that Christ is your life. You don't have a life and then Christ does all this stuff. Christ is your life now. Chase prayed it. Christ is the way. He is the truth. He is the Amen of God. He is the he like that's who he is, and he wants to take all of you until he's all in all. And to where you're like, I don't even make a decision anymore. Before I I just pray, God, what do you want? Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What's happening in the world? Right, You're so tender to him. So I want you to stand your feet and just close your eyes for a second. And we're going to pray. And we're just going to spend some time in worship. So just eyes closed. Can we just take a second and just ask a couple of questions. One is just to the Holy Spirit, it's in your heart, maybe you could agree with this, this prayer, this ask. Holy Spirit, right now, as we worship and pray, and as we lift our eyes, would you reveal Jesus to me right now in this moment in a fresh, new, and powerful way? In a way that doesn't depend on my intellect or my bank account or my education or my ability to conquer sin would you reveal to me Jesus Christ the son of God the living one and would you allow me to feel experience, hear, see, know how high, how wide, how deep, how long is his love for me? Because the Bible says the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness, joy, and peace. The love of God being poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, just ask him, Holy Spirit, as I sing, as I pray, as I listen, as I kneel, As I lift my hands, would you pour the love of Jesus into my heart? Holy Spirit, would you fan into flame your personhood in my life? Would you blow on my spirit today? Set it ablaze. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me the habits, rhythms, motives, thoughts of a person who's fanning into flame and guarding the deposit? Would you show me so that Jonathan doesn't have to tell me? Because I don't know everything about everything, Holy Spirit, and you do. I don't know how to tell people how to live, but you do. Holy Spirit, show me today what it means to fan into flame. The gift that you are and show me what it means to live a life where i'm not a city without walls where i'm not constantly losing the new work and the new wine that you're doing in my life where i'm not pouring into a a bag that has holes in it where you actually give me a container to grow the stewardship of your presence and life in my life in my family in my business in my school in my neighborhood in all areas that I live and move and have my being on this earth that you, Holy Spirit, would be guarding my life. Yeah, so we, we love you, Holy Spirit. Would you just tell them in your heart, say, I love you, Holy Spirit. That might even feel, feel weird because you haven't practiced talking to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I love you. You are the gift of God. You are the gift of Jesus Christ. You are my comfort, my guide, my helper, my teacher, my convictor of sin. You're the seal of my salvation. You remind me of the redemption I possess in Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are good. And I will not quench you or grieve you or reject you or harden my heart to you today. I open myself to you so that you could glorify Jesus in me, through me, around me. So Jesus, right now, we're just gonna worship you because we believe that worship activates the power of the Holy Spirit in us as we glorify you, as we lift you up, as we use our voices to proclaim our spirit, the eternal spirit you gave us, which will live forever with you, comes alive when we worship. Thank you, Jesus. We want to see you. We want to see your face, the door. God, let people see the door this morning that this church possesses. Because of your grace, you've given us your presence. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. So friends, let's sing to him. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do. Our prayer team is going to be down front. If you need prayer, if you want to come worship at the altar, feel free around the room we have got plenty of time